I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by David Broker, Chief Innovation Officer at Purdue Research Foundation, and Ozer Dondermagiolu, VP of Strategic Accounts at Salona. We discuss the digital divide in the state of Indiana, where Purdue Research Foundation is based, and the work that Purdue is doing in partnership with Salona to tackle connectivity issues with a private wireless network. We also discuss other ways private wireless and CBRS technology is helping industries and institutions close the digital divide. David and Ozer, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Before we dive into what you both are working on uh, as far as uh, CBRS and wireless technology and the digital divide is concerned, I want to give you both an opportunity to briefly introduce yourselves and your roles at your respective organizations. Um, David, let's start with you. Good afternoon, Nicole. Great to be here uh, with you and Ozer from Salona. Uh, I am David Broker, uh, Chief Innovation and Collaboration Officer for the Purdue Research Foundation at Purdue University. Awesome. And Ozer? Absolutely. Uh, great to be here, Nicole, David. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, running, uh, well, I used to run marketing for Salona for the last three years, but now I'm refocusing on working with our strategic accounts uh, and Great to be sharing notes with Purdue Research Foundation as a result. So great to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you both. And David, we're going to start with you. We're going to talk a bit about what you're doing with Purdue Research Foundation. Um, but because we're talking about the digital divide, I wonder if you can illuminate for me a little bit about the digital divide in Indiana and in the regions where you work. So, uh, you know, Indiana um, is a microcosm, I think, of the United States. I used to say, you know, if you want to go to one of the most average places in the country, come to Indiana, right? <laughs> uh, it kind of sounds awful, but in reality, it's actually great because it enables us to sort of not have to travel very far to see a, see what you would see in lots of parts of the country. So, you know, um, uh, right around Purdue University, you know, we are a top tier research R01 university. We train more engineers than MIT, Stanford, and UC Berkeley combined. So, you know, if you look at our little community and on our campus um, in West Lafayette, Indiana, we are probably a, you know, one of the smartest places in the country. If you go five miles either direction, you're in the middle of uh, rural Indiana, uh, mm -hmm. cornfields, soybean fields, pig farms, you name it. And literally, that's just, like I said, about five miles outside of West Lafayette. And if you compare what, you know, the connectivity, you compare sort of uh, what's going on on a campus like Purdue and what's going on in some of those areas just outside that five mile radius, it, it is like night and day. Mm -hmm. um, we are next to a county in Indiana that actually is one of the worst in terms of the amount of the population there that's connected to, you know, broadband and has access to high speed uh, internet. Uh, and so there's a desert all around us and it's not unusual. You know, we have about 92 counties in the state of Indiana. And I would say that, you know, there's probably six or seven regions similar to a West Lafayette, Purdue, where there's great high speed internet and connectivity. Uh, but you look at the majority of the state and we still are sort of like, I would say 70% are connected and 30% aren't. So that really is, is, is what, you know, the situation in Indiana is, is really like today. So that's that's pretty significant. Um, but you guys, you at Purdue Research are playing a role in trying to address this. So um, tell me a bit about that. What is what is this project you've got going on and how does it uh, intersect with the digital divide? 
So absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we uh, had had the opportunity, and this is where partners like Solana really uh, have, have been uh, instrumental in helping us, is just beside campus uh, at Purdue, there's a 400-acre development ca called the Discovery Park District. Um, and uh, in the Discovery Park District, it was essentially a brand new development. Uh, so there was nothing there, brownfield development. Um, and we had the opportunity because of the master plan that was um, taking shape over the next 10 years, that community is going to see about a billion dollars worth of real estate investment. Uh, when all said and done, it'll be the new home for probably somewhere between five and 10,000 residents. And those would be people that live there, work there in companies, visit there. Um, so it's a very uh, exciting opportunity to sort of not just plan a community based on buildings and that and infrastructure, but it's really an opportunity to build a community, a connected community, and it's sort of a so-called quote-unquote smart uh, community. So we took the opportunity not just to look at the real estate projects, but to look at the technology infrastructure, both below ground, above ground, um, you know, the advent of CBRS, you know, radio spectrum and things like that. So we've created essentially a test bed to be able to uh, evaluate you know, the, the next generation of technologies, advanced networks. Obviously we're in a 5G, we're in an emerging 5G world. Uh, everybody thinks we're there, we're not, uh, but we're emerging and evolving towards that. And you know, there, we're gonna have 6G and, and you know, at NG sort of beyond that. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do quite honestly is become a test bed um, for bringing people into our community like Solona. Uh, mm -hmm. Help us figure out what works, what doesn't work, what are the best use cases in a community like this, and then be able to rapidly advance and deploy those in some of these surrounding communities um, in that rural you know, divide. Um, and it's not just about technology either, and I think we'll probably get into this during the discussion, but you know, you've got to enhance the digital literacy of folks. You, you know, a lot of people are afraid of technology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they see what's happening. And so building trust uh, advancing technology, figuring out what's really going to make a difference in terms of use cases. These are all the important aspects of what we're trying to do uh, with that surrounding community and help uh, bridge that digital divide. Very interesting. So I'm going to come back to you, but I want to bring you in, Ozer, um, to talk a little bit about uh, Solona's role um, in this CBRS deployment, in this in this uh, project in general. Um, just talk a little bit about the technology side of things and where you all come into this. Yeah, absolutely. For um, those of our listeners who may not be fully familiar with CBRS technology, it's essentially a chunk of spectrum, a cellular wireless LTE 5G spectrum that FCC said, let's open for innovation within the private sector. Mm -hmm. And let's open for innovation within the you know lo local government statewide deployments when we can. And you know, large enterprise uh, deployments like manufacturing, warehousing environments as much as possible. It was kind of a strategic initiative started in 2015-ish timeframe to make sure that U.S. has investments, accelerated investments in the 5G ecosystem, given the fact that a lot of the 5G leaders has been international in, in nature, uh, you know, Ericsson, Nokia's of the world, for example. So that led to opening this chunk of spectrum. It's 150 megahertz chunk of spectrum. To give you a perspective, the entire Verizon network in the U.S. runs on 150 megahertz of licensed spectrum. It's a spectrum that they paid for. They have right of access. 
CBRS gives the opportunity for businesses, local governments, universities to gain access to LTE 5G technology for their own use cases without having to pay those expensive licensing fees. So it's great. So I can come to a vendor like Salona, Silicon Valley based, US based company, three year old startup, but you know, we've, we've been fast growing, lucky enough to partner up with the likes of Purdue Research Foundation. And we bring out a system that is as easy to deploy as a Wi-Fi network, um, outdoor, indoor, covers very large amount of space in an outdoor setting. We're talking miles here with a single radio. And we can spread those radios up and create this kind of private Verizon, private AT&T in local communities, within universities, within warehouses. And that essentially allows... um, uh, access to this cutting edge and transformational technology, 5G, um, in the years to come, starting with the 4G technology today. And the good news about CBRS, it gets to be reused. So mm-hmm. I could be deploying a CBRS network in Purdue. I can take that same network and could do, be deploying it somewhere else, uh, as long as it's at a location that's not going to interfere with the same frequencies that Purdue is using. And this entire frequency reuse and sharing across the country is managed by actually FCC. So mm-hmm. all these radios directly communicate with the FCC said, hey, I'm here. I'm enabling a cellular network for this community. Make sure that anybody else that gets deployed around me doesn't interfere with what I'm doing. So you have this really high-speed express lane, interference-free medium to innovate on and you are covering really, really large areas with, with outdoor radio. So that's kind of the background on the technology, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And coming back to you, uh, David, you know, you rightly touch on the fact that the digital divide has, is many things um, and has to be tackled from many angles. So I guess, what are some use cases that you see for for this particular project that could help close some digital literacy gaps or bring people closer to technology that maybe they don't even have access to at home, but could open up new doors for them, for their futures, for their education, what, et cetera? No, great question. And it, it really is an interesting time, I think, that we're yeah. living in because we're about, we are in, we are undergoing a tran- transition, a transformation from going from, you know, the agricultural industry to the industrial age and uh, industry to now the digital age. Yeah. And what's interesting about a place like Purdue is, you know, Purdue's 152, 53 years old. It was established as a land grant college. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is a land-grant college? Well, one of the missions of a land-grant college is to take what happens at the university and disseminate it to the community, right? And so, you know, teach them about what are the best practices as it relates to, you know, industry industry and economy and that kind of thing. So we've been doing this for 150 years uh, in a program called the Purdue Extension. Um, And the Purdue Extension, uh, we have offices, we have resources, we have people in all 92 counties, um, as you, you know, as as I described earlier, uh, where these digital divides and pockets of the digital divide uh, exist. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring through the Purdue Extension, um, you know, insight into, into these communities about, you know, you need to be preparing yourself for this kind of change. Um, it's, 
involves technology. So, you know, you need to understand what the technology is and what some of the opportunities are. CBRS is going to be, I think, a game changer. As you said, you know, it's, it's the ability to reuse spectrum uh, and it's for your own, you know, you can do it around a community or an organization or an enterprise and you don't necessarily have to you know, be dependent upon you know, some of the traditional providers of that kind of technology like, like most communities have. Uh, and, and quite honestly, a lot of communities in the, in the rural areas feel burned by some of the, you know, uh, past projects in this area. So there's a lot of reestablishing of trust that needs to occur. But if a Purdue, through the Purdue Extension, and, you know, we have a very good brand in the state of Indiana. And so we can bring, as a trusted intermediary, um, the tools, the skills, the insight, um, let's say the endorsement, if you will of what's possible. Uh, and so what's happening is, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of money coming out of the government mm-hmm. and out of the state uh, that's going to be hitting these communities. I, I read a statistic the other day that there's, you know, as much money coming through the infrastructure bill to support, you know, new broadband uh, installations as there was money to, that was used in the Highway Act back in the 50s and 60s to connect, you know, America with roadways. Yeah. Now we're talking about connecting America through the airwaves. Um, and so when you go into these communities, you know, most of them are rural in nature. So there's a lot of agricult- potential agriculture applications. You know, farmers are having to do more with less. Uh, and so, you know, you start to see in the farm field, it is not your father's farm field. Um, it involves autonomous vehicles. It involves drones. It involves sensors in the ground. Uh, so, you know, there's a whole set of use cases in precision ag. A lot of these communities, there are manufacturing facilities and sites that, you know, have sprung up in these communities. There's opportunities to sort of help those people do more with less as well. You know, a lot of people are starting businesses, uh, you know, at home or in these communities, but they're not connected to the internet from a retail perspective or from a mobility and logistics perspective. So, you know, how does some farm to table, you know, really innovative, you know, uh, business connect to the restaurants in, you know, in the area? Well, they need tools like this. So these are, I mean, we, as I said, we're at the, a lot of people think we're at the end of it. I I only think we're at the beginning of this digital transformation. And so these are the kinds of things that we're trying to do in the lab to life sort of discovery park district test lab that we can then accelerate. And and if people want to see it before they try it, they can literally come to Purdue and we can show them some of these kinds of things. Very cool. I want to come see it. Um, so um, uh, since you mentioned all the government funding that's coming down, let's turn to that for a second. Um, and I'll come back to you, Ozer. Uh, with the U.S. investing so heavily in broadband networks, you know, a lot of the conversation has been on fiber to the home and fiber versus fixed wireless and, and so on. But how do you see all of this funding impacting opportunities for private wireless? And how do you want policymakers to be thinking about private wireless as it relates to closing the digital divide? because I haven't seen that come up in too many conversations that I've been a part of. Yeah, honestly, I mean, one of the impressive, um, among many things, one of the impressive things uh, in Purdue's story that David is uh, kindly sharing with us are the use cases are wide ranging. So some of the communities might be getting funding for improving their competitive nature in agriculture. You know, there's a lot of potential given where they are, but they're not able to take advantage of it because there's not enough staff, education, digital tools to be um, 
enabling people or training them or actually using technology to improve their production. In some cases, it could just be, hey, we're living in a part of town that is not um, subject to best learning so far, uh, best education. Maybe we can help improve digital divide. In some cases, maybe it's about physical security. Um, we're trying to improve our infrastructure for IOT in a portion of the city that has been left behind. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think use cases usually are much easier for all of us to understand and relate to. We're trying to educate more people. We're trying to bring new industries to our town. We're trying to improve the security of our community. If we set it up that way, then the projects move forward. We've been involved with, you know, two examples, for example, both of them are from East coast. One of them is New York Public Library, and they're building out a CBRS network using Solana technology, and that has been made public in the last few weeks. And um, their story really starts with how do we help our community get easy access to broadband? Somebody can come to the library as a member, and they can check out, like checking out a book, they can check out a router that automatically connects to the private wireless network by Solana mm -hmm. and to get internet access. That's mostly about enabling the community. Then we did a project of Westchester University. And they unfortunately, they had a couple of incidents within the campus. And the campus happens to be built with the city. So city is the campus, campus is the city. And they had some incidents around the city that required additional um, you know, security infrastructure, camera infrastructure to be installed. Cabling, running fibers everywhere, it's just too costly. There's too many roads and intersections and just it's not possible. So they justified the funding with the city thinking, okay, we're really doing this for the physical security of our students, but also of our uh, community members. And that's how the funding was found. And that's kind of a local government example, a statewide example. But on the federal uh, domain, uh, we can also probably, you know, imagine what those use cases could be. So my recommendation is let's focus on maybe solving one or two real world problems and then the funding usually takes care of itself to be honest. And uh, David, similar question for you. How do you see all of this funding impacting the type of work you're doing and what do you want policymakers either on the federal level or the state level there to understand about the role that these private wireless networks can play in closing digital literacy gaps, digital other digital divide related gaps? Well, I, I think we touched upon it a little bit. It's sure. a multi-dimensional problem, right? Yeah. You know, we've, we're actually the engines program from the NSF recently was approved uh, as part of the chips act. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a call out for potential, you know, projects to create, you know, new innovation hubs, uh, uh, typically off the coast, right? Uh, you know, so not in you know East Coast, West Coast, but in other parts of the country. Um, and so we have actually uh, you know submitted a letter of interest uh, to create a, a formation of an engine that would look at this multidisciplinary challenge of how do you really close the digital divide? Just having technology for technology's sake is not going to do it. Right. right. These people, you can bring them, you know, you can bring them the technology, but if they don't trust it, if they're not aware of it, if they don't have insight and literacy to what can be done with it, if there aren't real business problems that can be addressed by, you know, adopting this technology, then 
you know, we're going to spend money. We'll connect. You know, people have great ways to watch Netflix and, you know, do some of the things that maybe they haven't been able to do, but it's not unleashing the power. You know, this, this is the thing. Um, and what I found and what we found in the Discovery Park District in building this connected community is almost when you have a blank sheet of paper, it's easier to build something rather than trying to deal with all kinds of legacy issues and things yeah. like that. So in some respects, the rural communities have the opportunity to get it right for the future. Yeah. And so, you know, part of this is trying to figure out how to help them future proof it so that they're just not sitting here and all, and, and quite honestly, you know, taxpayer, it's my money as well. I don't want to have to every five years or 10 years be spending this kind of money to continue to sort of upgrade and close a gap. I would rather see if we could find a way to get out in front of it and then keep it there. Uh, and so there's a lot that's happening. Uh, communities, I can tell you, have more questions than they have answers. Um, and, you know, part of Purdue's mission is to help them figure that out. And so that, that's what's exciting about it. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you both. I'm fascinated by what you're doing. Thank you so much for all the time that you gave me today. And I'll be keeping up with your work. Thank you. Totally. Thanks for having us, Nicole. Thank you again, David and Ozer, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer on this episode, Taz Underwood. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.